register ahead of time because there's a limitation on space. But let's do this. Let's increase that limitation. And how does that happen? Through you. We need additional volunteers. And there's a table out there. And if you are interested in getting more information or perhaps just saying, God, count me in. I'm ready to sign up now. Be sure to let yourself known to Pastor Josh in the Children's Department. But we're excited about what God is wanting us to see, hear, and experience. So if you would, prepare your heart. Let's welcome our pastor and expect to hear today. Thank you. Thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of John, chapter 1. And uh, I'm, I want to take a point of personal privilege today. So it's 25 years, if you can have been here now as your pastor and wife. And uh, no, 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 no. We'll wait. We'll make a big... We'll wait till the 50th to make it a big deal. So this is, but, but I want to say a few things on this. I, I, want, I just want to tell you how much, how thankful I am for you as a church, how thankful I am to be your pastor, and how much I love you. And I just uh, I love our church, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I love our church, and I am imperfect pastor and imperfect people, but I love our church, and I am thankful for you. And I want to thank those of you who have been here a long time. You've heard my jokes, <laughs> my stories. And stayed with me, and it just means more than I can express. Is there anyone here who has been here? Um, you were here 25 years ago. Anybody here that long? There's a few of you around. Yeah, man. God bless you. Gluttons for punishment, but God bless you. I am so thankful for people like you. Maybe a few of you remember when we built this building that we're in now. Uh, before we put the carpet in, we came in one Sunday morning. And we wrote Bible verses and prayer requests and things like that on the floor. Any of you remember that? That was a special, special Sunday. And God just done some great things. You know, I love those things. I love what God does here. I love to see a 79-year-old guy get baptized in a modern service. You know, I, I, love, I love these things that God's doing here. And I appreciate very much. I want to say thank you to those of you who serve. We have, if there's any reason outside of the sovereignty of God where God is so blessed FBCO, it is because of the people who have served, and so many have. Uh, here's a here's a email. Some kids' life center sent on to me from a preschool volunteer. You can imagine in these days, the preschool volunteers is just a different world. So here's what they said as we kind of get back towards preschool. They said we've prayed about it, and ultimately we aren't letting fear or uncertainty or extra precautions be the reason we not serve. So we will happily and joyfully serve. I love that. We will happily and joyfully serve. I remember being that overwhelmed mom of four, all under six years old with a deployed spouse, and I knew that we would serve the next young families when it was our time. Man, I appreciate people like that. If you want to get the most out of your Christian life, you want to enjoy your Christian life, you want to have the best experience you can have, it's service. It is not being served, and it's not getting. It's giving, and it's serving. And I'm telling you, that is so countercultural, and so many Christians have missed this, and they think it's all about them. And, and so, now when we serve, it blesses others, but the truth is, when we serve, we are blessed. So I am just, uh, Vicki and I just want to say thank you to you, and I'll say more on a 50th. Well, open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 1, and let's read there together. In the next, weeks, next two weeks, I'm going to preach from the book of Jeremiah. When's the last time you heard a sermon from the book of Jeremiah? But as I was working through it in my personal devotions, I just had a couple of passages. I said, I've got to preach that. I just felt impelled by God to preach it. And then on the 13th of September, uh, I'll preach 
I'll start a series. I'm going to go through every verse, every word of the book of 2 Timothy. It's a powerful book. It's an important book. And I hope you'll join me for that. I think that, that book is so important to us, and God uses it in our lives. And I hope you'll join me as we work our way through it, all, every bit of 2 Timothy together. Well, let's read uh, John chapter 1. I'm going to read beginning with verse 40. As we, we've gone all the way through this long chapter of the Bible, let's now get to um, verse 40. The Bible says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Nazareth, of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Well, I love this passage. This first chapter of John is so important to us. It, sh it shows us from the very beginning, the word Remember, the Bible says the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the very nature of God. Everything that has been created was created by the Word. And then the Bible tells us those shocking words that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The one who created the universe, God, became a man, and He tabernacled, the Bible says, He tabernacled among us. He came to live here among us. And we need the example of Jesus. And then John the Baptist tells us about this about this uh, word, this word of God. The Bible tells us, John said, this is the Lamb of God pointing us to the sacrifice Jesus would make on our behalf. And we need the example of Jesus. And we need the example of John the Baptist, the greatest born among a woman, which is a really high percentage, as I've pointed out, of people who are born to a woman. And then we, but then we come to the disciples and we need them because the disciples are not unlike us. They are, they are weak, they are fallen, they are frail, they are broken, they live in a broken world, they're broken people, and they are like us. And we watch how God works in them and through them, and from that we learn something of how God works in us and through us. So let's note three principles together. Would you take notes if you're watching online or you're in person? We just write these three principles down, and we're going to work our way through these verses together and note what the Bible is teaching us as we observe God's work in the disciples. Number one, would you note, disciples invite others to Jesus. That's what disciples do. Disciples invite others to Jesus. God could do everything he does without us, but he chooses to use people like us. God wants to use you. If you are a follower of Christ, God wants you involved in his work. Disciples invite others to Jesus. Can I tell you this? It is abnormal to keep the gospel to yourself. It's abnormal to keep the gospel to yourself. It's common, but it's abnormal to keep the gospel to yourself. If you 
invented, you had some extra time, and you invented a vaccine that would help in a time of pandemic. And you kept it to yourself. Would we not say that is abnormal? If you said, listen, this is just helps me. This is for me. It's what I want. It's what I like. It's what I feel. It's what, this is all about me. Would it not, would we not say that is abnormal? And it is abnormal. I'm not saying it's uncommon, but I'm saying it's abnormal for those of us who know Christ to keep it to ourselves. For people who have found the bread of life, not to tell other beggars about that bread. For people who have found the great physician, not to tell others who are broken, who are wounded about the great physician. And so disciples invite others to Jesus. I want you to write down three phrases in these passages. You might want to underline those phrases in your Bible. Write these down, three phrases that tell us about people who uh, find someone else and bring them to the Lord. Number one, would you write this phrase, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Messiah. Now let's note here how Andrew found Simon. Let's go to the, to the text in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, we'll know Simon Peter better by Peter along the way, but Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. So Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. He heard John the Baptist preaching the message of repentance. And Andrew repented of his sin and, and began to look forward to the Messiah. And then one day, John the Baptist said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And because John had said, I must decrease and he must increase, Andrew left John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. But verse 41 says, he first found his own brother, Simon. First, what's the first thing he does? Just say, listen, this is for me and no others. The first thing he did, the Bible says, he found his own brother, Simon, and he told him, we have found the Messiah. We found the anointed one. We found the Christ. And the Bible says, and he brought Simon to Jesus. And he brought Simon to Jesus. He gave his testimony. We found the Messiah. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And your story is powerful. There's a power to stories. There's something about stories that are great. I love stories. You've heard, if you come here long enough, for the next 25 years, you'll hear me tell lots of stories. I, am, I, lo I love stories. When my grandchildren are over, I often tell them stories. As a, Jesus told stories. But there is something powerful about your story, about the story of God working in you. There's a power to that story. Now, our, listen, it's not based in our feelings. It's based in faith, in the truth. Our feelings are not the basis of our faith. It's based in the truth. And it's not just what we have experienced that matters most. But God working in us uses our testimony as a means by which other people see there's something beyond the theory of faith and they see the reality of faith. Uh, they see the flesh of faith and see the truth of who God is. And so Andrew gave his testimony, his story, and he found his brother Simon and said, we have found the Messiah. This is the one we've been looking for. The second phrase I want you to write down is the phrase, follow me follow me. It's found in verse 43. The Bible says the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and he found Philip. Now, when we, we say when someone trusts Christ as Savior, they found God. But technically speaking, they didn't find God. God was not lost. We're the ones who are lost without Christ. And we find God was finding us he loved us before we ever loved him. He cared about us 
before we ever thought about caring for him. He thought of you 2,000 years ago when he went to the cross. And the Bible says he said something to Philip. Here's what he told him. Follow me. Follow me. It's the simplest definition of discipleship. He's saying to Philip, and he says to you, and he says to me, follow me. Follow me. I'm a, I'm a plan maker. I like to plan. 2020 has been a terrible year to make plans. It has been a terrible year to make plans. Things have not always gone exactly as we expected. Is that fair to say? Have I stretched it too far with that one? Who could have predicted? Who could have guessed? The plans that we make don't always go as we think. And yet the Lord just says, follow me. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't tend to say, now, I'm going to show you all the things you're going to go through when you follow me. He doesn't tend to do that. When I trusted him as Savior as a boy, I didn't know all of what that meant. When I said as a young man, as a teenager, I want to obey you, I want to follow you. He didn't tell me all the details of what was going to happen next. He didn't tell me about the 25 years here or anything else for that matter. We want to say, now God, listen, I know you say follow me. Here's what I'd like you to do. If you just tell me on this uh, journey, where am I going to sleep and where am I going to live and what's this going to look like? I mean, are there some potholes in the road? How many twists and turns along the way? Are there some hills I'm going to have to climb? Am I going to have to climb some steep places? God, what's it going to look like? And the Lord doesn't always tell the answers to those things. In fact, he rarely does. What he says is, follow me. And if we have enough faith, enough sense in our heads, we follow him. Instead of going our own way and asking God to bless that, we say, God, all right, I want to obey you. I want to do what you tell me to do. I want to go where you tell me to go. I want to live like you want me to live. I want to follow you. That's what discipleship is all about. There's a third phrase I'd like you to write down. And that's the phrase, come and see. I love this phrase. It's what we've titled the message, come and see. Let's go to verse 44. Now, I've talked about Andrew who found Simon and Jesus who found Philip. Now, Philip finds Nathanael, verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, Bethsaida, the small region, Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. They must have known each other even as young men. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. So Moses wrote the law, and the law is pointing us to this man. The law, listen, the law is not an end in itself. It's pointing us to Jesus. Because the law reminds us that we are all sinners and that God is holy and that none of us can keep the law perfectly. I mean, the law is serious. And there's so many responsibilities, and none of us have kept that. If any one thing Moses points out to us in the law is that God is holy and we are not. And he's saying Moses is pointing to Jesus. And then he said, and and so are the prophets. The prophets are pointing to the one who is going to make things right, the one who's going to bring healing to our broken world, the one who's going to forgive sins, the one who's going to change lives. And so the prophets are pointing to Jesus. And Philip is saying, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. And here he is. It's Jesus, the son of Joseph. You know, a carpenter, no great significance, no great importance to be, I mean, Joseph doesn't, he's not a king. Joseph isn't a prince. He's a carpenter. And he's from Nazareth. You know, that little town, Nazareth. 
This is a really small village, nothing special about it, no prominent people from there, no, no prominence in, in the Old Testament, no great significance. It's not where the kings go. And here's what Nathaniel says in verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't know, maybe they'd been, you know, maybe Bethsaida and Nazareth had been rivals. Maybe they played each other in football. Do you remember football? They used to have this game called football. They'd play each other, and maybe, the, maybe Nazareth always had a bad team, and Bethsaida would slaughter them every year. I don't know. And maybe he just had some prejudice about this. You know, it's the wrong side of the tracks. The enemy is all, this is not a new, this is not a new, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And the enemy has always found ways to divide us. He's always looking for a way. There's always something. Only the Lord can unite us. Politics can help or hurt, but only the Lord can heal the heart. Only the Lord can bring real unity. And the enemy's always finding a way. And so maybe this is just another way for the enemy to say, listen, you can't, nothing good can come from that place. That's the wrong side of the tracks. But for whatever reason, Philip said, can anything good come out of that place? And I love how Philip answers Nathaniel. He says this, come and see. Why don't you examine the evidence for yourself? Look into it for yourself. By the way, that's what I want to ask you to do. Examine the evidence. There's a reason to believe that there's a God who loves us. There's a reason to believe God sent his son, God who became a man, Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for us, and that Jesus rose from the grave on our behalf. Examine the evidence. Come and see Philip said. So uh, a few years ago, I was, went out after the service, after a, um, one of the worship services, and I saw this guy out in the atrium, and I knew immediately who it was. I hadn't seen him for years and years and years. He was a, a friend from high school days. And these are in the days when you used to could shake hands. Do you remember when you used to could shake hands? And, <laughs> play football and stuff like that. Anyway, back in the old days, and I, man, I hugged him. I hadn't seen him in years. He looked the same. Sometimes your high school friends don't look the same. You young people, I'll just tell you, sometimes, years from now, they might not look the same. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes the hair leaves, and sometimes they gain weight, and sometimes the plastic surgery has gone bad. I'm just saying it happens sometimes. But this guy looked the same. His hair was shorter because I'm from the long hair generation, you know, but he was hair shorter, but he's the same guy. And I knew immediately who it was. And I'll just tell you, and um, I came to know Christ as Savior when I was young, but I did not invite a lot of people to come and see. I didn't, I did the, I was abnormal in the sense. I was abnormal in other ways, but I was certainly abnormal in this. I didn't invite uh, others to Jesus very often. But I got to know this guy in high school and we became friends. He laughed at my jokes, which is really my definition of a friend. And he was, um, some, I was starting to get more serious about faith. And some of that faith just spilled out. And he started asking questions. And I started saying to him things like, this is the Messiah. And what it meant to follow Jesus and come and see. Examine the evidence for yourself. And he trusted Christ as Savior. Now listen, I didn't save him. I didn't forgive his sins. Only Jesus can do that. I didn't change his heart or life. Only Jesus can do that. But 
I got to be a part of seeing. Those of you who have led someone to the Lord or helped someone come to faith, you know the great joy that comes in participating in the work of God. Only Jesus can save, only He can forgive, but when you get to participate in Jesus changing a harder life, there's just something about that that's powerful and exciting, and I just was so thankful for that little opportunity, and it just has kind of whetted my appetite to say this is what disciples are supposed to do. We are supposed to lead people to Jesus, to point them to, point them to the only one, to the Word who was with God and who was God, to the, to the Word who created everything that has been created, to the Word who dwelt among us, who tabernacled with us, to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what we do. That's the second thing I want you to note. And that is Jesus sees you as no one else can. Jesus sees you as no one else can. No one else in all the world can see you as Jesus sees you. No one else knows you as he knows you. Not even you know you like Jesus knows you. So let's note a couple of things here. First, let's note, he knows who you can be. He knows who you can be. And I want you to see the example of Simon. Let's go to verse 42. The Bible says, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, now Andrew has not, or Simon rather has not done anything yet. He's not followed Jesus. He's never lived by faith. He's never done anything of significance for the Lord. But when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. That's how, of John rather. That's how you're known. But you will be called Cephas, that's Aramaic, which is translated Peter, which is Greek. And in English, that means rock. And he's saying, I see something in you. We will know Peter for the rest of his life by that nickname. We don't, we don't call him Simon. Every once in a while we'll see Simon Peter to kind of keep it in order. But we know him as Peter, rock. Because Jesus sees what he can be. Peter has never lived by faith to this point. He has never taken a stand for God. In fact, he's even going to stumble several times along the way in the next few years as he follows Jesus at his side. But Jesus sees in him what he can be. Do you remember the Rocky movies? Rocky or Rocky 2 or Rocky 3 or Rocky 4 or Rocky 5 or the stories about Rocky's children or about Rocky's friends' children or all... All of them are the same. They're all the same. They are rocky. They're some guy who no one believes in, and they do more than you could have dreamed, and somebody believes in them, and they do these great things. When Jesus sees you, he sees what you could be. Not just the brokenness, not just the failure, not just the mistakes, not, not just the sin. Jesus sees what you could be. When other people see someone soft, he sees a rock. He sees what you could be. There's a second thing I want you to note, and that is he knows who you are. Now listen, you will never see what you can be unless you know who you are. And I'm telling you, many, many do not know who they are. They are not realistic about themselves. They don't know their strengths. They don't know their weaknesses. They don't know, they don't know themselves well at all. They can pick out the speck in someone else's eye, but they can't remove the plank from their own. So let's go to the example of Nathaniel in verse 47. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. Philip said, hey, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. So Nathanael comes to see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. There's, there's, there's something gut-level honest about this man. 
And then verse 48, Nathanael said, how do you know me? And then Jesus says this, and we don't know the details, but man, this must have been a powerful moment. Before, here's what Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I've wondered what happened under that fig tree. This must have been a very significant moment for Nathaniel. Maybe it's a moment when he said, God, if there is a God, would you reveal yourself to me? Or God, I am so confused and lost in this world and I don't know the way to go. Or God, can you help me to see the truth in this world that's so confused in a culture that says there is no truth or that everything is relative? Could you, could you help me to see? Whatever it was, that this, this critical moment under the fig tree. Have you ever had that kind of moment? When it's just you and God, no one else, and this big moment. And Jesus said, you thought no one in the world saw this. You you thought no one else understood. But I saw. And I know. I know who you are. You'll You'll never know what you can be until you see who you are. Maybe you grew up in a home or with people you cared about who said to you, you'll never amount to anything. And you've messed up everything there is to mess up, and that's just who you are, and you'll mess up everything for the rest of your life. And you began to believe that. And you'll never be who you could be until you see the truth about who you are. Or maybe you grew up in a home where Grandma said, you are so perfect in every way, and the whole world revolves around you, and you're the, I, you're the greatest human that's ever lived. And, and, you, and you believe that. And you'll never be who you could be until you see the truth about you. I'm telling you, God in heaven tells you the truth. He tells you the good and he tells you the ugly and the bad because he loves you. So he tells you the truth about sin. If you think sin's no big deal, welcome to the club. Common, common story. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people in our culture think sin is no big deal. If there is such a thing as sin, it's no big deal. And the Lord tells you about the ugliness of sin and that pain of sin and the bondage of sin. He tells you the truth about who you are so that you can become who you need to become. Or the desire deep inside to do something great for the cause of Christ, to do something bigger than yourself. God sees that. He knows your gifts. You might not think you have any gifts or talents that could be used by God. God knows better. He knows who you are. He knows what you're capable of. He knows what you could be. He knows who you are. And as you know who you are, you'll understand who you can be. And the problem is many people never become who they could be because they're never willing to really see the truth about who they are, the good and the bad, the problems and the potential. And God wants you to see those things. And he knows you in a way that no one else in all the world can know you. There's a third principle I want you to note with me. Jesus shows you heaven's picture. Jesus shows you heaven's picture. Sometimes my young grandchildren would draw me a picture, and they are beautiful. I don't know what they're of, but they're beautiful. Well, the Bible tells us God is painting a picture for us here. Let's note a couple of things. First, Jesus shows the future. Go with me, please, to verse 50. Jesus responded to him. Nathanael said, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this, he said. And then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened. You will see heaven opened. Jesus wants you to see the future. He wants you to know about heaven. He wants you to see that he made you for something more than just this moment and something 
more than just this world. Jesus made you for something beyond. And this world is brief, relatively speaking. And we're going to stand before God. And so he wants us to see what heaven is like. He wants us to see that day when all that is broken is put back together. When all that is broken is restored. He wants you to know that because you will live the kind of life in this world he wants you to live when you see what he has for you in the future. So he shows us this picture. He says, I want you to see heaven opened. I'm pulling back the curtain so that you can see a little of what you were made for and what I want for you and why salvation matters so deeply and what can be yours. I want you to see that so that you live the kind of life I want you to live now. I talked this week to a young pastor who was uh, very discouraged. And I will say in all of my ministry years, I've never seen a time when there are more discouraged pastors than this time. I've never seen a time when there are more discouraged pastors. Part of it is because it's a very discouraged generation. This is a, there are many in our culture who are discouraged, deeply discouraged. Fear has a tendency just to grip our hearts, just to grip our hearts instead of faith, that is not of the Lord. That is not of the Lord. But it grabs a hold of our heart and it brings discouragement, pain, worry, anxiety, fear. Out of that come all the responses, good and bad, but a lot of bad. Anger, frustration. So I was talking to this young pastor and he was discouraged. And there was a pastor in the first service just traveling from another place who talked about his own discouragement to me. I tell you, it's a common story right now. And I told this young pastor, every pastor has been discouraged. And I do mean everyone. It doesn't matter the circumstances. The enemy is full-time, and he knows how to bring discouragement. You think you're the only one who's ever been lonely or discouraged or depressed or, and the enemy wants to isolate you but I'm telling you it's, it's common unto man and I, so I said listen I just want you to know that, that you're not alone in this but I, I said I want you to think with me a little bit differently a thousand years from now can you picture a thousand years from now now I don't mean to be a negative person or anything but I'm probably not going to have a 1,000 year anniversary as your pastor. I'm just probably not. I mean, right? That's not likely. A thousand years from now, when you've been deceased from this world for a long, long, long time, a thousand years from now, what will matter then? What will count then? He talked about a young man he had led to faith in Christ, the teenage boy who's getting baptized. I said, that'll matter a thousand years from now. But that frustration expressed to you by someone in a poor fashion, that won't matter a thousand years from now. Or the uncertainty of living in a time that you don't know exactly how to navigate through, that won't matter a thousand years from now. Or trying to deal with people who are on one side of a fence or another and it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to have people who are frustrated. That, that won't matter a thousand years from now. 
But what you do with Jesus, what you do with faith, what you do with the truth, that will matter a thousand years, 10,000 years, a million years if there is such a thing in eternity from now. And so Jesus rolls back the curtain for us for a moment to say, I want you to see what heaven is like so that you live a life of impact in this world. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see. Jesus shows his plan. He shows the plan. Go with me to verse 51. Then Jesus said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, the angels, they're serving the Lord. That's what they've been doing for for millennia. They're serving the Lord. And one day they found out that the Lord was creating this world. And to their great amazement, they saw this world, people created in the image of God, who would rebel against God, who would sin against God, who is holy, who would go their own way and suffer the consequences of sin because there are always consequences to sin. To their amazement, they watched as we squandered all the blessings of God and went our own way as a as a people. And then to their shock, they discovered that the Word who was with God and who was God, who created everything that has been created, them included, was going to leave the throne of glory, His Son, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Word would become flesh, and He would tabernacle here. He would, he would take on human form, and He'd live right among these people who have fallen and failed and gone their own way. And then to their shock, Jesus would become the Lamb of God on their behalf, and He would take the sins that are rightly mankind's, people like you and me who are broken and fallen, He would take our sins, our punishment, our debt upon Himself and go to that cross and then bring the victory in that resurrection morning as he conquered sin, death, and hell. And the angels, they would watch with amazement this incredible story of God's love and God's grace, God's mercy to a race that could not possibly deserve it. And God shows us a little of that plan. The Word. Chapter 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with, was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that's been created. Verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was created through Him, and yet the world did not recognize Him. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. John the Baptist would say, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then he would call this ragtag group of disciples who would follow him for these next years, who would begin, be the beginning of the fledgling church. That was God's plan. I cannot understand. The angels in heaven cannot understand how God could love us that much. But he does. But he does. And he says to us, come and see. Bow with me for a word of prayer. As we pray, I'm going to invite you to give your life to Christ. 
The Bible tells us to repent of our sins, to place our faith in Jesus who died for us and rose from the grave for us and receive him as Savior. Right where you are. Some of you need to be saved. Watching online, you need to be saved. Would you pray a prayer like this? Dear Lord Jesus, I know I have sinned against you. Just tell him the truth that he already knows. I've sinned against you. Be honest with him. I've gone my own way. But I believe you came into this world for me and you died on that cross in my place and you rose from the dead. And so right here and now, I turn from my sin and as best I know how, I give my life to you and I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, he will save you. He will save you. And if you prayed that prayer, that means something. That matters. And God wants to work in your life. He wants to grow you. Put down some deeper roots. Learn the things of God. But begin to follow him. Christian, can I just ask you to follow the Lord? Would you, would you just use the, enough wisdom and just have enough faith to say, Lord, I want to follow you. I don't know where that leads. I don't know the twists and the turns, the potholes and the mountains. But I'm going to trust you and I'm going to follow you. And today I want to follow you. Remind me of eternity, Lord. A thousand years from now, there'll be things that will still count that I'm doing right this day. Help me to do the things that count. Help me to bring others to Jesus. Help me to invite others to come and see. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the truth you give us. I thank you for the hope you provide. Use this in our lives to draw us to yourself. Help us to care about people and to bring people to Jesus, the only one who can forgive and the only one who can save. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.